You're listening to episode 57 of the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Hey, we're Sub Radio. You're listening to the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Here's your host, Suze, founder of the Rockstar Advocate. Hello, you're listening to episode 57, Musicpreneur Spotlight, Bree Noble. I'm your host, Suze, a mindset coach helping music professionals get clear on their goals and find time to get it all done while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. One of the biggest roadblocks almost all musicpreneurs face when building a career is overcoming their poor mindset around money. We are taught to think of musicians as either struggling performers who have to busk on the sidewalk for change or superstars who are taken care of by labels. Neither end of the spectrum is truly accurate and most musicpreneurs don't belong to either end. You can make a healthy living from your music without selling out and without giving up control of your music and brand to a label. The biggest thing, as you'll learn from my conversation with Brie, is putting in the work to shift your mindset. The rest, as she puts it, is the easy part. Brie is not only a successful musician herself, releasing three albums and successfully touring for seven years, but she is also a former director of finance of an opera company and the founder of Female Entrepreneur Musician. In case that wasn't enough, she is also the host of two podcasts, both of which hit number one on New and Noteworthy, Women of Substance and the Female Entrepreneur Musician. She also has a vlog, a blog, a free community on Facebook, her Female Musician Academy, and the upcoming Profitable Musician Summit that she hosts online at the end of this month, which I'm so excited about. She focuses on empowering musicians to go after the careers they want and make money that they deserve to make while they do it. The Profitable Musician Summit begins April 22nd and runs through May 1st, with over 30 industry experts and musicians shining a light on what it takes to mentally and physically make money from your art. You can register for the summit for free using the link in the show notes, therockstravagate.com forward slash EP57. But before you go and do that, listen in on what Bree had to say when it comes to building a sustainable career without the overwhelm. All right. Well, Bree, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really happy to have you on my podcast. I'm a big fan of both of your podcasts. So this is really great. Thank you for being here. You are welcome. I'm, I feel like I've been here already because you've been on my show and we've done dual things together, but I'm, yeah. fi- I'm glad to finally be here. Yeah. I had to like stop for a second and think. I was like, have I had her on yet? I don't know. Because <laughs> we do. We do. We do a lot of things together this year and it's been it's been a really fun fun time being that we have so many shared uh, interests and passions when it comes to helping musicians. So definitely. Yeah. Um, I really, you know, I, I first came about you, I guess maybe it was like four years ago. I had a client who submitted to women of substance radio and they were so thrilled when they got on and I said, Ooh, tell me more about this. And that's, that's when um, I first got turned on to all the amazing things that you do. And you know, I just find your story so interesting and you have such a good skill set to bring to the table for musicians and you're a musician yourself. So it's such a unique position that you're in. And, you know, I know that you help a lot of musicians identify income streams that they can build to become better, either full-time musicians or just fund their hobby, which is also just as valid. And I love that you provide these resources as this is obviously a huge part of what it takes to have that musicpreneur mindset. Um, But why do you think musicians struggle so much to identify how to make money in this industry and build those incomes? Oh, 
I mean, I think it's a lot of reasons. Some some of them are just even as, as scared to approach the money because they just don't they don't feel like they understand business or that they are good in that area and they just want someone else to handle it. And so that's one of the things. A lot of them just just hate even thinking about the money because they just want to focus on the creative side. And I get all of that because although I'm like I was an accountant in a former life, as a musician, I didn't want to have to put that hat on either. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand where people are coming from in that area. But also there's there's just a lot of fear around asking for money. And I think that in this day and age, there's so many musicians out there that are willing to do stuff for free that you feel like you don't have the right to ask mm. for money. And it's a hard one to get past as a musician. And it's it's like once you get that gig, I mean, remember for me, you know, once I got a gig once where they paid me $1,000 to perform, I was like floored. But after that, it was so much easier right. to ask for more money. You know what I mean? But it's that mm-hmm. first one. You got to get that first one. And, and until you do that, you just think of yourself as as giving your stuff away for free and you don't feel comfortable asking. You know, it's interesting to me. And, and I get that even on, even as starting out as an entrepreneur, you feel like, oh, like, am I going to insult this person with what I'm asking to, to charge? Or am I, go, you know, what if they think I'm overcharging or, you know, all of that stuff. But with musicians, yeah, I think there's a whole other level to it that it's very complex. And it's, it's a very, I've noticed very emotionally tied, you know, very emotionally uh, charged, I should say. Do you think it's tied to how we perceive music as as consumers? I mean, do you think Napster had a, anything to do with it and all of that stuff? Or do you think it's just, it would have been this way regardless? I think that has some to do with it. And I think that now it's it's so much harder to to sell music that it's seeped into other areas because that's definitely not the case for really good seasoned musicians as far as live performances, like people are still getting paid for that. But uh-huh. I think that that mindset has kind of seeped in. And then, you know, people that are, are newer as is understandable because you, you have to be able to, to really hone your skills before you can ask to charge people. Um, but the newer people are coming in and offering these things for free. And then you feel like, well, how can I, when they're doing this, how can I come in and and say that I'm better than them? But really, you know, you earn it, right? You earn it through sweat equity. You earn it through honing your skills and becoming a good entertainer. And when you have a show that really entertains people, you can ask for money for it. But it, I think it does. I think that mentality has kind of come in, starting with the whole Napster thing, and now the the streaming. I hear people say to me like, "I can't even give my music away," and that just makes me so sad. Yeah. Like, don't say that. I know. You know, because when you're at your performances and you create a moment for people, and they want to take that home, they will pay for it, and they want to pay for it. They want the chance to thank you for giving them yeah. that memory, you know, and don't take that away from them. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I think it's important to remember like the, the conditions around what you're selling and where you're selling it and under what circumstances you're selling it. Because as you said, yeah, when you, when they're watching you perform and they leave that performance, that's a whole different mindset for the consumer rather than scrolling through Facebook and you trying to 
say, hey, go download this or go purchase this on Bandcamp and all that stuff. Yeah, there's, you know, definitely a, a time and place for different, you know, hitting, I guess also maybe like different types of fans and in different circumstances and the way you frame everything. Um, would, would you say there's like a different approach selling online rather than the way you sell at your shows? Oh, definitely. And I think it all comes down to relationship. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you can create a certain kind of relationship online, but that's never, I think, going to trump the relationship that you can create offline at a show. Even if you haven't spoken directly to the person, if you're telling stories, if you're being authentic up there, if you're like bearing your soul through your music on stage and and leaving it all on the stage, people are going to feel like you're talking directly to them and that you have a relationship with them. And then that can continue to online Um, but that's just the most powerful way. And that's why people want to support you because they feel like they've, they've invested in you, but with online, you can, you can create that somewhat through engagement and you can do things like, you know, use messenger bots and have conversations with them over time. And, but it's never the same as, as being local. So I think that one, two punch of if, they met you online and then you can get them to a show or if they met you at a show and then you can continue the relationship online. That's the key to turning someone from just a casual listener to someone that wants to invest in you with, you know, some kind of money, whether it's for a concert ticket or being part of your Patreon or, you know, crowdfunding, whatever Mm. it is. Yeah. I think that's really important. Now I know you being a musician yourself and I shared your story with our listeners at the beginning of this episode, you had left your job and gone on to be a successful independent musician. So obviously, I mean, you've walked your talk, you know what it's like to build successful income streams with your music. So why create a radio station to feature other female artists? Because, you know, I know so many out there are worried about standing out from the competition when, you know, talking about marketing yourself um, to your fan base. Uh, and there you were highlighting and promoting what some would call your competition. So what sparked that for you? Do you, do you think that competition exists on any sort of level or what made you think I'm going to promote other female artists and build a radio platform to share music? Well, first of all, I don't think that we, we're we competing. You know, I mean, even with people that were in my local area, I felt like there was plenty of gigs to go around. And if they were at that venue this month, I could be there next month. And, it, you know, it didn't keep me from being able to be there because they were. And so I tried, mm-hmm. I wanted to try to create this camaraderie between especially female artists that we could all raise each other up. And so that was kind of why I decided to, take the station, you know, more public and professional, but actually to truthfully, this is an example of something that was just, I created it for, for myself. It was a passion project. It started as when I was working in the corporate world, I wanted a place where I could listen to my own, like my favorite songs by independent artists while I was at work and without having to bring like an MP3 player or something with me. And Mm -hmm. so I just created it on Live 365 and I thought it was really cool. It was kind of the first like cloud-based anything back in 2000 where I could create it at home and then go to work and listen. Like it seems so silly now because we have Spotify, but it was a big deal. And so I kind of had all these like indie artists I discovered on mp3.com. I was, that was kind of where my music 
got a lot of traction was mp3.com way back in the day. And so I discovered some really cool artists like Rachel Sage and um, a bunch of other independent artists that I really liked. And so I put them on a station and I, I just came up with the name like randomly, Women of Substance. Like that sounded cool. What I wanted was to say that these were really substantial songs lyric wise or, you know, with amazing vocalists or amazing melodies, like something about them made them stand out. And so that's where I came mm-hmm. up with that. And then it was just kind of on the back burner for a while. I, I didn't use it because Live 365 started charging. And I'm like, oh, this was just a hobby. I'll just leave it there. And then um, when I was a touring artist, I then started meeting a lot of indie artists like myself too. And I was like, hey, you know, I, I kind of remembered that platform. Maybe I could add these people to it. You know, and so, and I can even add, you know, a few of my songs, which I was never a big person of promoting myself on my own station, but I did add a few. And so I started doing that as I met more and more people and was networking with these independent female artists. And it just, it caught on, it grew and Mm -hmm. people, you know, got excited about it. And then I started attracting PR agents and labels and things like that. And it wasn't like an overnight success. It started, as a professional or as a thing I was actually promoting in the end of 2007. And so now 11 okay. years later, it's, you know, we're, we're on our 900th episode of the podcast. It just came out today, actually. I and, know. Uh, I saw it. It's amazing. Crazy? <laughs> and the podcast only started in 2014. So it was an yeah. online radio right. station all this time. And it just, you know, it just, it just kept catching on. And when we started adding commercials to help pay for our costs and, you know, I started needing to get help. And so I have an assistant and, you know, it just kind of grew very organically on the side as I was an indie artist performing, you know, taking little mini tours and stuff and raising my kids. Yeah. I mean, I think two, two really important things that you mentioned, I think, you know, should be highlighted is number one, I love your view on, on competition and whether or not it exists. And I feel the same way. I mean, some people even mention, you know, healthy competition, but it's like, you know, I always like to compare certain things to get like a real perspective on it. You know, if you look at like detergent, obviously there's competition. You're not going to buy 50 different brands of detergent all the time. You tend to stick to one and there's really not a whole lot of difference between the detergents. So, you know, there's that competition between those brands to be the one that you purchase at the store. But music is so subjective and so unique. Um, and we digested as fans, you know, we never like just one R&B artist. We usually like many R&B artists if R&B is our genre that we take to or blues, bluegrass or electronica or metal, you know, there's, there's always room at the table. If you are putting out a good product and you resonate with your fans, you shouldn't be worried about competition. So I love what a community you've created among the female music community. I think it's wonderful. And I also love that you pointed out the organic growth of women of substance radio and now podcast that it was, you know, a labor of love and a passion and you grew it and added your team members and added on other resources as it became needed. And I think that's a great example of how to build a business in this industry with patience and adding things on as they become needed without feeling like you need everything at once before you can even get started. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that my 11-year run with this radio station is a great example to artists of how you Mm -hmm. should build your business. Like I didn't go out and decide I'm going to do a $5,000 PR blitz, you know, when we first started. In fact, I've never done such a thing. You know, I just, it was a lot of work connecting with people on Facebook and always encouraging the artists to share with their communities and, you know, just utilizing all those avenues just like a musician would and not not over-investing too early. It was a very lean, very lean startup. You know, I figured out how to, I could break even at first, you know, before mm-hmm. I, I went any further with it. And with every step I made, I figured out how could I make this break even, you know, before I looked yeah. at it as, as an income stream, just to make sure that I wasn't going in the hole, you know, and that's exactly right. I think how musicians should look at it. Um, but as far as the competition thing, I just think it's, you made such a really good point. And when you, when you look at it as a musician, you're seeing it so narrowly, but if you can back away and think about it as a fan, like what you were just saying, like, why would I ever want to miss out on knowing about good music just because I also liked other artists in that genre? Right. Mm -hmm. I don't want to miss out on any good music. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, I'm totally loyal to Colby Calais. I'm never going to listen to Sarah Bareilles or Ingrid Michaelson because they're too similar. You know, that would never happen. Right. But as a musician, we don't think that way. And we feel like we're we're a bit paranoid. Mm -hmm. Right. We, We feel like every everyone around us is we feel like. There's so few resources, and if other people get them, we won't have them. And so right. I'm just a big proponent of trying to explain to music. It, it's just like like us, right? We're having this conversation. Like in some ways, we are competitors. You know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of friends, right? We have a lot of mutual friends in the industry. Like, you know, so let's say Greg Wilna, D. Grant Smith, Steve Paul Freeman, you know, Angela Mastro Giacomo. Like that we're all friends, mm-hmm. And we don't right. feel like we're competing against each other. We feel like we each have something important to offer. And I think for people that I work with, there are seasons for them. You know, they may mm-hmm. say, oh, well, right now I really want to learn about PR. I'm going to go talk to Angela. Right. Or I really want to learn, you know, go deep with like planning and time management. I'm going to go talk to Suze. And it's not like that. then they don't like me, you know? Right, right. So yeah, it's just, it's just a totally different mindset, but there's so many, I hear from musicians all the time, especially in live venues that there's, there's still just so much grabbiness and clickiness and just not being comfortable with other artists in their space. And so I hope, I hope we can turn the tide on this. I don't know how to do it, but we need to be, we need to be, we need to support each other and be friendly with each other and not be antagonistic toward each other as artists. Absolutely. Well, and I, and I think you just pointed it out, you know, the way that our circle of coaches or music professionals or whatever title you want to put on it of like our own community leading by example. And, you know, like the summits that you put together and that Steve Paul Freeman does and all the wonderful events where we come together and showcase a, our podcast, where we highlight each other's work. You know, if we can lead by example then hopefully it has a ripple effect and showing people that that doesn't need to happen. And like you said before, if you wanted to book a show just because somebody else got it, now maybe they got the date that you wanted, but it doesn't preclude you then from getting there eventually and playing that show. And if anything, it should give you hope and say, okay, if somebody like me who plays my type of music got to play that venue, then maybe I should reach out to them and ask them who they spoke to or 
tell the venue, Hey, I'm, you know, we have a similar audience and you book them and you know, I'm, I'm going to bring a great show to your venue too. It can work in your favor rather than work against you. As you said, it's all mindset. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and which is perfect for this podcast, of course. <laughs> but I mean, I think we all have our zones of genius or our things that we're good at. And, and that's one thing I love about my, my academy is that, you know, people can get together and be like, oh, I'm really good at this. You know, I'm really good at crowdfunding. And another person can be like, I'm really good at booking. And then they can get together and help each other and give each other ideas. And I just think the power of two or more is so much greater than the power of one. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up your Female Musician Academy, because that leads very well into my next question that, you know, you've got, we've mentioned Women of Substance podcast, uh, which was formerly your radio station. You've got the Femme Musician podcast, which I have the honor to be on. You have a vlog, a blog. You create resources for musicians. You have the Female Musician Academy. You host the Profitable Musician Summit online. You run a Facebook group. You have two children. Seriously, like, how do you manage it all? Where where do you find the inspiration to create these platforms? Bring us into your world. What how how have you accumulated all of these things? Oh, yeah. When you say it like that, I start to wonder how I do it. But <laughs> I don't think about it that way on a daily basis. Um, I think it's just it's being smart. You know, I've I've figured out ways to to compartmentalize things and to streamline things. And of course, I have some fantastic people working for me right now. Um, my team consists of Beth Matthew, who's the community manager for our female indie musician community and the the female musician Academy. And that female indie musician community, which is our free group is like 3,500 people. So she's got Mm -hmm. quite a, but she's just so, she's so good with, you know, customer service and just really caring about musicians because she is a musician. So that's one important thing I think is I've added someone to my team that really gets the people that we work with. She is a female indie musician. She joined the Academy before she ever started working for me, you know, so she has the exact same struggles and frustrations and she's out there in the world dealing with them just like everybody else. So that's been one major thing is having her part of my team and just handling all those details that I can't possibly handle you know, I don't know. I, uh, scheduling is a big thing. You know, you you and I both are very big on goal setting and time management and scheduling and stuff. And, you know, for me this year, I've had a, I have one homeschooling daughter. So my Mondays and Fridays, she's home with me, which has made things interesting. But I just, I think organizing my week in a way that's not fragmented has made the biggest difference. Saying, mm-hmm. you know, these days are my days for meetings and I don't have meetings on other days. So I can focus right. on content. So for me, it's videos or podcasts for musicians. If they're doing this for them, it's, you know, writing days or recording right. days. And, you know, then there's other days that you say, okay, I'm going to do all my errands and all my administrative duties on these days. So they don't distract me on these days when I need to really focus on a particular thing. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, are days where I can completely focus. You know, once I get into to recording the interviews for the summit coming up soon, those are going to be my days when I do the interviews because I'm not distracted by anything else. I agree. I mean, we've talked about this in the past. I mean, learning how to draw boundaries around my time and batching certain 
types of tasks together on certain days was a complete game changer for my productivity. And I I 100% agree with everything you just said, for sure. When it comes to building all of this stuff, and, and as you've said before, I mean, none of it happened overnight. It wasn't like all of these things came you know, at once. And you just woke up one day and was like, I'm going to do two podcasts and I'm going to do this. You know, obviously things folded into the journey. (laughs) What is your biggest, you know, I know that you're a big cheerleader for female musicians. Obviously you have a really great skill set at teaching others about income streams and being profitable, but what is it that really keeps you going and motivated to do so much to help other musicians? Like what, what is the thing that just like lights that fire under you? You know, I did this, um, this brand archetype test recently. And what I discovered is that my two biggest motivators or the things that I want to be known for are being an advocate and being a connector. Mm. And once I realized I was like, yes, that's actually really what I love. Like I love, what, the reason I love Women of Substance is because I love promoting other artists that create great music. Like mm-hmm. Nobody loves promoting themselves, right? But I right. love promoting other people because it's so much easier than promoting yourself. And you right. can be completely honest about it if you love their music and completely excited about it. So, you know, the reason I have that platform is that I actually really love exposing the world to great music. So that's one thing that motivates me. And then as far as being a connector, like that's one reason I created the Academy. I don't want any musician to feel isolated and alone and and want to give up. And I was talking to one of my, my private students that's in the Academy today. And she's like, she has another woman in the Academy that's one of her accountability partners. And she's like, you know what? We have saved each other like multiple times. We have almost given up. And without that relationship we would have. And then she told me about another person I connected her with. And she's like, this person has been such a gift to me. I feel like it was your gift to me to introduce me to her. I was like, wow, that's, that's what motivates me. Yeah. Teaching, getting people to help each other and giving them the tools to be the most successful that they can. And again, like amplifying that by just learning from me and from others, because we can only learn so much in our own limited experience. Yeah. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I love that, you know, that person was able to say like, that was your gift simply by putting two people together that give so much value back and forth to each other. And you had a part in that. And that's really powerful. Yeah. It was it just totally made my day today. And it just solidified what I learned in that test is that I just really love doing that. That's the one reason, one reason that I have a Facebook group that's free is because I, I wanted to make sure that there was nobody out there that felt alone and didn't have the support that they needed to even get started. I realize some people are not ready for the academy, but if they don't have that support in the beginning and that confidence to know that they can do this, mm-hmm. they'll never get there. Right. And so that group grew out of something that happened to me when I was a struggling musician. And I had a group, a little mastermind group like that of about 10 women. And that is really what catapulted my career because I just, I was at that point where I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't, I wanted it so bad, but I didn't know 
the steps. And these people were a little bit ahead of me and I could watch them and I could ask questions. And that's what I wanted to make sure that, that no artist missed out on. Yeah, it's so important. You know, and that's why it's important to get rid of that feeling of competition, you know, rather than sitting on Instagram, looking at what everybody else, what you feel they have and you don't have yet, finding that community and just saying like, okay, how did you crack that code? Or, you know, what did you do to get out of this situation or grow this piece of your career? And then you in turn do that for other people. And it's a beautiful thing. And as you said, it it gets you there faster. <laughs> you know, it gets you going and it gets you see more progress in just a different, more powerful way. And I think that's that's great. And the community you've been able to build to help other musicians, especially female musicians in this industry, is just is awesome. And I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm just a Thank really big you. fan of what you've you and and you know, the fact of, you know, being an advocate and a connector, all of those amazing things you've created that I've listed, you know, it's not a motley crew of things. It's not like you don't look at that list and be like, hmm, why did she create those things? When you know your why, it makes complete perfect sense as to why you would create these things. They all go hand in hand. They're all connected with that intention. Yeah, I see that now, definitely. And I think the other motivator is that I don't want the world to miss out on any great music that musicians can create. And that's why I'm so focused on let's get you guys some income. Because if you don't get any income, you're not going to be motivated to keep creating. You're not going to have the resources to keep creating. It's it's not necessarily about the money for money's sake, although we do need that in order to survive. But, you know, some people just want to perpetuate their art as a side hobby. Right. And they still need money to do that. Right. So that's that's why I'm I'm so keen on income streams and finding ones that you might not have thought of, the you know, just the obvious ones. And so that's kind of one reason I started the Profitable Musician Summit and I'm continuing it because people really appreciated learning about all those income streams. And this year we're going to be talking about income streams plus how can we decrease our expenses and, you know, not overspend. So we're really increasing our profit overall. What do you think musicians get most hung up with as they go through this journey? Like from when they realize, okay, I need to start taking this more seriously or I need to start approaching this in a, in a more serious way and think about it as a career. What do you think they get hung up on the most and what, what do you usually say to them about that? Well, I think you'll agree with me that most of them have nothing to do with practical things. It has all to do with the <laughs> mindset. You know, yeah. we, we, can, we can figure out the practical things, but the mindset is what completely stops you in your tracks. So I'd say the first thing is overwhelm. That's the biggest one Mm -hmm. that I deal with, which is why, and I'm sure you agree with this, why we need to plan and goal set and all that stuff. Because otherwise you'll just be like spinning around like a crazy person, you know, (laughs) oh, you know, this shiny object and this shiny object, oh no, squirrel over here, you know, and it's (laughs) that with the internet, right? The internet is like the ultimate distraction when it comes to just too much information. So I, I think that's what I see. And it's hard because as a teacher, I want to teach everything, right? Right. But mm-hmm. less is more because if you teach them everything, they'll either do a little of everything and never complete it or just feel so overwhelmed that they don't even know which thing to start with. 
you know, coming up with a framework has been the biggest thing for me to, to help musicians know, okay, I'm at this stage, I should do this. I'm at the, now I'm at this yeah. stage, I can do this. At, you know, at this early stage, I can't do this thing because it's not going to work for me. It's going to be too mm-hmm. expensive. It's not going to yield what I want. So it, this is all kind of one big thing, fear, lack of confidence, uh, imposter syndrome, comparing yourself to other people, like all that stuff just messes with your mind. And yeah, I see many times musicians that are just completely paralyzed in like, especially in booking because of those things. They're just constantly mm-hmm. like, what are they going to think of me if I ask for money? Or, you know, how can I compare to this other artist? Or, you know, you look at what other artists are doing. I can't possibly do that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not as good as them or whatever. And when you're first starting out, yeah, you're not as good as them. You have to prove yourself. Right. You have to to pay your dues. But when right. you, once you have done that, just having the confidence to know that I do deserve to be paid, I've put in years to hone my craft. You know, maybe you've gone to school like me. I got a degree in vocal performance. Like, you know, I spent years, you know, passing right. my piano proficiency exam and doing my junior and senior recital and practicing two hours a day. You know, that's all should be worth something. Just like doctors do that. And then they get paid a lot later, right? right. After they've put in all their their hard work. So we need to not feel guilty in knowing that we have put in the work to deserve to be paid. It's not an easy thing to to deal with these these mindset issues and sometimes they've just been ingrained. You know, if, if you've had family or friends tell you that music is a stupid decision and you're crazy and you can never make money from music, that just gets drilled into your head. And even though you think that you've gotten over that, that's still lurking in the background, you know? Absolutely. So sometimes it just takes a lot of, a lot of hard work emotionally to overcome those things. And I've seen people, they've been stuck and stuck and stuck. And then all of a sudden they break through somehow and, you know, only Mm -hmm. they know how they did it because it was such a personal thing. But once that happened, like the floodgates opened and they just started booking like a mad person. Right. But whereas for (laughs) a year they were just stuck, you know, so you guys need to know that it's not all about knowing the right tactics. It's about conquering those internal demons to Mm -hmm. give you the strength go out there and and then follow the tactics. I can tell you from my perspective, there are things now that are, that are hard for me to do. They're a different level. I mean, for example, Mm -hmm. asking people to sponsor my summit, right? I'm just, I'll just come out here and admit this. Like it's intimidating, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's at a higher level. You're asking for more money and you're you're thinking like, do I have the right to ask for this? Who am I? You know, all those things are going on in your head. And so you Absolutely. never grow out of that. You never grow out of it. I mean, maybe you, you know, I know you put on a live event every year and there's probably some of that going on like, oh my gosh, like, can I really do this? Like, this is a huge undertaking, you know, do oh, I really 100%. have this stuff for it, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I'm I'm in complete agreement with you about sponsorships too, because- the second year, people were like, well, who's sponsoring? And I was like, nobody. And they're like, why? I'm like, because I didn't ask. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's something that I would like to overcome for next year. Yeah, you talk yourself out of it or you, you come up with a million 
different excuses as to why it's not a good idea rather than just trying. You know, you never fully crack the code. You get better at, I would say, realizing your the negative talk sooner, using, you know, being able to rely on certain tools and, and systems and, and routines to get yourself out of the negative talk. But it doesn't mean that it never happens again. Like once you figure out how to get yourself out of the negative talk, it's not like you ever fall, don't ever fall back into it. It's just as you said, different circumstances, different stakes. <laughs> Just Yeah, that's stakes. a really good thing that you said about realizing it earlier because our mind can like rationalize our way out of everything. Like, oh, oh you, sure. know, you know, my mind can somehow be like, oh, well, I can't possibly ask any people today because I need to send them a video and I don't have time to, you know, do my hair and do my makeup. So I can't do it today. Right. I'll do it tomorrow. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so we'll make up reasons. And once you realize like, no, you had plenty of time to do that. You're just using that as an excuse. (laughs) Yep. I I think we should leave it there on that powerful note. It's time for our lightning round. If you could choose one superpower, what would it be? It would be making more time out of no time. (laughs) Seriously, I I feel like time is constantly ticking against me. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Have it, I want like that Zach Morris like timeout button where we can just oh. call timeout and the, everybody freezes. <laughs> okay, that would be awesome. I could get so much done and then turn it back on. They'd be like, wow, how'd you do that? <laughs> be like, my, both my podcast, my vlog, my blog, everything is done. And, you, you know, right. you're unaware of any time that has passed. <laughs> if time travel were possible, what's one lesson you'd like to go back and tell yourself? I think I would like to tell myself that whatever you're doing today, that doesn't mean you're going to have to do it forever, that you can Mm -hmm. change and the world will be okay with it. Like you have control over your own destiny because sometimes I feel like, well, if I'm doing this podcast now, I have to do it for the rest of my life. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, no, you don't. You could stop at any time and people would understand. That's really great. I think I'm still learning that, (laughs) but I think it's a really great lesson. Yeah. And I think it's when we, if we're people that are consistent and committed people, we feel like we can never make a change. Right. And like, that's, that's a good thing and a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree. So if you could invite three musicians living or dead to your house for dinner, who would they be? I'd say like Bob Dylan, probably Joni Mitchell and Sarah McLaughlin. Nice. That's a really random combination of people. I might have to stop by and try to sneak in dessert and be like, oh, here, look, I've come with dessert. Let me join your table. Totally. <laughs> that sounds, I just, like a, I, sounds like a I good felt group. Like I just wanted to pick like really good songwriters. And I'm sure they'd want to meet each other too. <laughs> like I'm yeah. sure Sarah McLaughlin would like to be at that table. All right. So then the last one, since this is an actionable podcast, what action would you like our listeners to take when they finish listening to this episode? If you haven't made any goals yet for the year, sit down with a pen and paper and just write out everything that you would want to do for the next year on just like a total brain dump. And then Mm -hmm. pick five that make sense for the next 90 days. And if you've already done that, I just want you to go back and just really look at those goals and commit to those goals and just think them through for the next 90 days. Don't just like write them down and then forget. And this is coming from someone that just did this exercise 
for myself. Um, <laughs> and I was just thinking today, like, I need to look at those every day because mm-hmm. otherwise they're just going to be something that I wrote on a paper and it's not, I'm not going to really internalize those. Absolutely. I, I actually, for the first time, put my goals as my desktop image at the beginning of last idea. year. Yeah. And it was so much more effective than I've been in the past. <laughs> so I'm going to continue to do that for, for 2019. But yeah, I, I just, I, again, I want to thank you so much for your insight and for your honesty and transparency with our listeners. There's so much to be learned and all of the wonderful resources that you offer are all in the show notes. So I encourage all of our listeners to go check them out. The links to the Female Musician Academy, both podcasts, Woman of Substance podcast and the Femme Musician podcast and all the other great resources that you have. And I also encourage all of you to attend the Profitable Musician Summit. Information on that will also be in the show notes. And do what Bree said because she knows what she's talking about. So go reflect on those goals. And Bree, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. For those of you that don't know, we're actually recording this over the holiday break. And I really appreciate Bree making the time to sit and chat with me. Oh, I couldn't think of anything more fun to do over the holidays than talk about this stuff. <laughs> it's, what, it's what gets me excited to keep doing what I do. So it's been super fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And we'll see you all on the next episode. You're welcome. I literally could talk to Brie all day. I love connecting with like-minded people. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. One thing I can't stress enough, if you're looking to start making real money from your music, is to go register for Brie's Profitable Musician Summit. It's free, it's jam-packed with great information, and you can pick and choose what topics best suit your needs. As Brie said, accomplishing your goals comes down to drawing boundaries around your time and honoring those boundaries. So make sure you've carved out some time each week to develop your business skills. Just a little time each day or a chunk of time once or twice a week can make an incredible difference. Head on over to therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP57 and register for the free summit and check out all of the other great rock sources that Brie has for you. As always, I thank you for listening and I'm here if you have any questions. Email me at any time, suz, S-U-Z, at therockstaradvocate.com. Until next time, Rockstar, have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here next week so we can get grounded to get rising. Take care.